Hello, this is a special presentation from member-supported Sun Sounds of Arizona. We are reading the House Judiciary Committee's staff report on constitutional grounds for presidential impeachment. This is part of our series of presentations of important documents in the historic impeachment proceedings of a president. Normally, Sun Sounds provides readings from newspapers and magazines. However, the impeachment is a process that is punctuated by key source documents, upon which the news articles and opinion pieces are often based. Thus, these special presentations. We have recorded the articles of impeachment, the whistleblower complaint, and the Democratic and Republican Intelligence Committee impeachment reports, and more. We will add to this library as new key documents are released. Sun Sounds is a nonprofit reading service that provides audio access to print information for people who cannot read or hold print materials due to a disability. That includes age-related conditions. We encourage you to tell friends and family who might benefit from our programming about Sun Sounds, and you can support this effort at sunsounds.org. I'm your volunteer reader, Paul Wyke. I regularly read a program called AZ Law. Today, however, I am reading The Constitutional Grounds for Presidential Impeachment a report presented by the majority staff of the House Committee on the Judiciary, and it was presented on December 7, 2019. We will read the introduction and the executive summary of this report. Here it is. Our president holds the ultimate public trust. He is vested with powers so great that they frighten the framers of our Constitution. In exchange, he swears an oath to faithfully execute the laws that hold those powers in check. This oath is no formality. The framers foresaw that a faithless president could destroy their experiment in democracy. As George Mason warned at the Constitutional Convention held in Philadelphia in 1787, if we do not provide against corruption, our government will soon be at an end. Mason evoked a well-known historical truth. When corrupt motives take root, they drive an endless thirst for power and contempt for checks and balances. It is then only the smallest of steps toward acts of oppression and assaults on free and fair elections. A president faithful only to himself, who will sell out democracy and national security for his own personal advantage, is a danger to every American. Indeed, he threatens America itself. Impeachment is the Constitution's final answer to a president who mistakes himself for a monarch. Aware that power corrupts, our framers built other guardrails against that error. The Constitution thus separates governmental powers, imposes an oath of faithful execution, prohibits profiting from office, and guarantees accountability through regular elections. But the framers were not naive. They knew and feared that someday a corrupt executive might claim he could do anything he wanted as president. Determined to protect our democracy, the framers built a safety valve into the Constitution. A president can be removed from office if the House of Representatives approves articles of impeachment charging him with treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. And if two-thirds of the Senate then votes to find the president guilty of such misconduct, after a trial. As Justice Joseph Story recognized, the power of impeachment is not one expected in any government to be in constant or frequent exercise. When faced with credible evidence of extraordinary wrongdoing, however, it is incumbent on the House to investigate and determine whether impeachment is warranted. 
On October 31, 2019, the House approved House Resolution 660, which, among other things, confirmed the pre-existing inquiry into whether sufficient grounds exist for the House of Representatives to exercise its constitutional power to impeach Donald John Trump, President of the United States of America. The Judiciary Committee now faces questions of extraordinary importance. In prior impeachment inquiries addressing allegations of presidential misconduct, the staff of the Judiciary Committee has prepared reports addressing relevant principles of constitutional law. Consistent with that practice, and to assist the committee and the House in working towards a resolution of the questions before them, this staff report explores the meaning of the words in the Constitution's impeachment clause, treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. It also describes the impeachment process and addresses several mistaken claims about impeachment that have recently drawn public notice. Now we'll read Section 2, which is titled Summary of Principal Conclusions. Our principal conclusions are as follows. 1. The Purpose of Impeachment As the framers deliberated in Philadelphia, Mason posed a profound question, Shall any man be above justice? By authorizing Congress to remove presidents for egregious misconduct, the framers offered a resounding answer. As Mason elaborated, some mode of displacing an unfit magistrate is rendered indispensable by the fallibility of those who choose, as well as by the corruptibility of the man chosen. Unlike Britain's monarch, the president would answer personally to Congress and thus to the nation if he engaged in serious wrongdoing. Alexander Hamilton explained that the president would have no more resemblance to the British king than to the Grand Seigneur, to the Khan of Tartary, or to the Man of the Seven Mountains. Whereas the person of the king of Great Britain is sacred and inviolable, the president of the United States could be impeached, tried, and upon conviction, removed from office. Critically, though, impeachment goes no further. It results only in loss of political power. This speaks to the nature of impeachment. It exists not to inflict punishment for past wrongdoing, but rather to save the nation from misconduct that endangers democracy and the rule of law. Thus, the ultimate question in an impeachment is whether leaving the president in our highest office imperils the Constitution. Principle conclusion number two, impeachable offenses. The framers were careful students of history and knew that threats to democracy can take many forms. They feared would-be monarchs, but also warned against fake populists, charismatic demagogues, and corrupt kleptocrats. The framers thus intended impeachment to reach the full spectrum of presidential misconduct that menaced the Constitution. Because they could not anticipate and prohibit every threat a president might someday pose, the framers adopted a standard sufficiently general and flexible to meet unknown future circumstances, treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. This standard was proposed by Mason and was meant, in his words, to capture all manner of great and dangerous offenses against the Constitution. Treason and Bribery Applying traditional tools of interpretation puts a sharper point on this definition of high crimes and misdemeanors. For starters, it is useful to consider the two impeachable offenses that the framers identified for us. Treason is an unforgivable betrayal of the nation and its security. A president who levies war against the government or lends aid and comfort to our enemies cannot persist in office. 
a president who betrays the nation once will most certainly do so again. Bribery, in turn, sounds an abuse of power. Impeachable bribery occurs when the president offers, solicits, or accepts something of personal value to influence his own official actions. By rendering such bribery impeachable, the framers sought to ensure that the nation could expel a leader who would sell out the interests of we the people for his own personal gain. In identifying other high crimes and misdemeanors, we are guided by the text and structure of the Constitution, the records of the Constitutional Convention and state ratifying debates, and the history of impeachment practice. These sources demonstrate that the framers principally intended impeachment for three overlapping forms of presidential wrongdoing. One, abuse of power. Two, betrayal of the nation through foreign entanglements. And three, corruption of office and elections. Any one of these violations of the public trust justifies impeachment. When combined in a single course of conduct, they state the strongest possible case for impeachment and removal from office. 1. Abuse of power. There are at least as many ways to abuse power as there are powers vested in the president. It would thus be an exercise in futility to attempt a list of every abuse of power constituting high crimes and misdemeanors. That said, impeachable abuse of power can be roughly divided into two categories, engaging in official acts forbidden by law and engaging in official action with motives forbidden by law. As James Iredell explained, the president would be liable to impeachments if he had acted from some corrupt motive or other. This warning echoed Edmund Randolph's teaching that impeachment must be allowed because the executive will have great opportunities of abusing his power. President Richard Nixon's conduct has come to exemplify impeachable abuse of power. He acted with corrupt motives in obstructing justice and using official power to target his political opponents. And his decision to unlawfully defy subpoenas issued by the House impeachment inquiry was unconstitutional on its face. 2. The Betrayal Involving Foreign Powers As much as the framers feared abuse, they feared betrayal still more. That anxiety is shot through their discussion of impeachment and explains why treason heads the Constitution's list of impeachable offenses. James Madison put it simply, the president might betray his trust to foreign powers. Although the framers did not intend impeachment for good-faith disagreements on matters of diplomacy, they were explicit that betrayal of the nation through schemes with foreign powers justified that remedy. Indeed, foreign interference in the American political system was among the gravest dangers feared by the founders of our nation and the framers of our Constitution. In his farewell address, George Washington thus warned Americans to be constantly awake, since history and experience prove that foreign influence is one of the most baneful foes of Republican government. And in a letter to Thomas Jefferson, John Adams wrote, You are apprehensive of foreign interference, intrigue, influence. So am I. But as often as elections happen, the danger of foreign influence recurs. Number three, corruption. Lurking beneath the framers' discussion of impeachment was the most ancient and implacable foe of democracy, corruption. The framers saw no shortage of threats to the republic and sought to guard against them. But the big fear underlying all the small fears was whether they would be able to control corruption. As Madison put it, corruption might be fatal to the republic. 
This was not just a matter of thwarting bribes. It was a far more expansive challenge. The framers celebrated civic virtue and love of country. They wrote rules to ensure officials would not use public power for private gain. Impeachment was seen as especially necessary for presidential conduct corrupting our system of political self-government. That concern arose in multiple contexts as the framers debated the Constitution. The most important was the risk that presidents would place their personal interest in re-election above our bedrock national commitment to democracy. The framers knew that corrupt leaders concentrate power by manipulating elections and undercutting adversaries. They despised King George III, who resorted to influencing the electoral process and the representatives in Parliament in order to gain his treacherous ends. That is why the framers deemed electoral treachery a central ground for impeachment. The very premise of the Constitution is that the American people govern themselves and choose their leaders through free and fair elections. When the president concludes that elections might threaten his grasp on power and abuses his office to sabotage opponents or invite interference, or or invite inference, I think that's supposed to be interference. He rejects democracy itself and must be removed. Four, conclusions regarding the nature of impeachable offenses. In sum, history teaches that high crimes and misdemeanors referred mainly to acts committed by public officials using their power or privileges that inflicted grave harm on our political order. Such great and dangerous offenses included treason, bribery, serious abuse of power, betrayal of the national interest through foreign entanglements, and corruption of office and elections. They were unified by a clear theme. Officials who abused, abandoned, or sought personal benefit from their public trust and who threatened the rule of law if left in power faced impeachment. Each of these acts, moreover, should be plainly wrong to reasonable officials and persons of honor. When a political official uses political power in ways that substantially harm our political system, Congress can strip them of that power. Within these parameters, and guided by fidelity to the Constitution, the House must judge whether the president's misconduct is grave enough to require impeachment. That step must never be taken lightly. It is a momentous act, justified only when the president's full course of conduct, assessed without favor or prejudice, is seriously incompatible with either the constitutional form and principles of our government or the proper performance of constitutional duties of the presidential office. But when that high standard is met, the Constitution calls the House to action, and the House, in turn, must rise to the occasion. In such cases, a decision not to impeach can harm democracy and set an ominous precedent. Principle conclusion number three, the criminality issue. It is occasionally suggested that presidents can be impeached only if they have committed crimes. That position was rejected in President Nixon's case and then rejected again in President Clinton's and should be rejected once more. Offenses against the Constitution are different than offenses against the criminal code. Some crimes, like jaywalking, are not impeachable, and some forms of misconduct may offend both the Constitution and the criminal law. Impeachment and criminality must therefore be assessed separately, even though the president's commission of indictable crimes may further support a case for impeachment and removal. Ultimately, the House must judge whether a president's conduct offends and endangers the Constitution itself. 
Principle conclusion number four, fallacies about impeachment. In the final section of this report, we briefly address six falsehoods about impeachment that have recently drawn public notice. First, contrary to mistaken claims otherwise, we demonstrate that the current impeachment inquiry has complied in every respect with the Constitution, the rules of the House, and historic practice and precedent of the House. Second, we address several evidentiary matters. The House impeachment inquiry has compiled substantial direct and circumstantial evidence bearing on the issues at hand. Nonetheless, President Trump has objected that some of the evidence gathered by the House comes from witnesses lacking firsthand knowledge of his conduct. But in the same breath, he has unlawfully ordered many witnesses with firsthand knowledge to defy House subpoenas. As we show, President Trump's assertions regarding the evidence before the House are misplaced as a matter of constitutional law and common sense. Third, we consider President Trump's claim that his actions are protected because of his right under Article 2 of the Constitution, quote, to do whatever I want as president, end quote. This claim is wrong and profoundly so, because our Constitution rejects pretensions to monarchy and binds presidents with law. That is true even of powers vested exclusively in the chief executive. If those powers are invoked for corrupt reasons or wielded in an abusive manner harming the constitutional system, the president is subject to impeachment for high crimes and misdemeanors. This is a core premise of the impeachment power. Fourth, we address whether the House must accept at face value President Trump's claim that his motives were not corrupt. In short, no. When the House probes a president's state of mind, its mandate is to find the facts. That means evaluating the president's account of his motives to see if it rings true. The question is not whether the president's conduct could have resulted from permissible motives. It is whether the president's real reasons, the ones in his mind at the time, were legitimate. Where the House discovers persuasive evidence of corrupt wrongdoing, it is entitled to rely upon that evidence to impeach. Fifth, we explain that attempted presidential wrongdoing is impeachable. Mason himself said so at the Constitutional Convention, where he described attempts to subvert the Constitution as a core example of great and dangerous offenses. Moreover, the Judiciary Committee reached the same conclusion in President Nixon's case. Historical precedent thus confirms that ineptitude and insubordination do not afford the president a defense to impeachment. A president cannot escape impeachment just because his scheme to abuse power, betray the nation, or corrupt elections was discovered and abandoned. Finally, we consider whether impeachment quote-unquote nullifies the last election or denies voters their voice in the next one. The framers themselves weighed this question. They considered relying solely on elections rather than impeachment to remove wayward presidents. That position was firmly rejected. No president is entitled to persist in office after committing high crimes and misdemeanors, and no one who voted for him in the last election is entitled to expect he will do so. Where the president's misconduct is aimed at corrupting elections, relying on elections to solve the problem is no safeguard at all. 
And that's the summary of the report by the majority staff of the House Committee on the Judiciary titled Constitutional Grounds for Presidential Impeachment. It was publicly presented on December 7, 2019. And that concludes our special presentation of the House Judiciary Committee's report on the constitutional grounds for presidential impeachment. Please visit sunsounds.org for more key documents from the impeachment proceedings. And while you're there, please click the donate button and support this member-supported reading service for people who cannot read or hold print materials due to a disability. I'm your volunteer reader, Paul Wyke, thanking you for listening and supporting Sun Sounds of Arizona. Thank you.